Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Kate Siegel. I'm Nikki Urban, and our guest today is the amazing Danielle Perez. Uh, she is appearing on season two of Special on Netflix, which comes out May 20th, which is probably already passed by now. Uh, but you should go watch it on Netflix immediately following this podcast. Also, she was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, MTV's Decoded, and uh, like a billion other things. She is amazing, and we are so excited to have her on. Hello, Danielle. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. It is such a treat to get to have you on. It is. Uh, I was. <laughs> I feel like I'm like geeking out. <laughs> like, hey, yay, you're great. Just like you, like look at your credits, and you're like, damn, like you've, like you've done some really, really cool things. Like, uh, I'm very happy for you because you deserve it because you're very, very funny. Okay. Thank you. That means a lot. It's, I don't know, like in the pandemic, it, you kind of get a little like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, totally. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How how has it been during the pandemic for you? Um, You know, some real high highs, honestly, and very low lows. Uh, very Mr. Toad's wild ride, just like some ups and downs. <laughs> Uh, I was lucky enough, I got to shoot a few things that are coming out, hopefully at the end of this year, maybe early 2022, but also, you know, got very, very depressed, realized I had anxiety, you know, to a medical grade, <laughs> a diagnosis even, you know, so we're, we're doing uh, Lexapro, we're living la vita lexapro and where yeah shout out yes drugs are like cool when you have to take them every day that's what i learned <laughs> uh i don't know i disagree as somebody who takes lexapro uh and how much it saves me from what i like i i could be so much worse off <laughs> than i am i love it but it's like it's like oh it's not like i'm used to drugs being like a fun sometimes thing not like <laughs> i need this every day or i will lose my mind yeah. i remember yeah. when weed became that for me um that's an addiction though oh. it's different yes <laughs> i don't know anything about that <laughs> but so diagnosis though were you ex like happy to get diagnosed and sort of like have like a better understanding of your own brain or well i mean it was like anxiety like i always knew i was depressed and like had depression but it just like hit a new low but i didn't realize that i had anxiety and that was pretty eye-opening in that like oh how am i so filled with this and the world is stopped do you know what i mean it's like usually i'm just anxious because shows and career and like we're going and everything's happening and I've got to keep on top of everything but there was nothing to keep on top of because everything <laughs> stopped and like it felt so much worse and it's like oh I realized I've been managing my anxiety with stand-up cool wow very unhealthy <laughs> it's like oh this thing that like truly fulfills me I've also been using to like just tame a crazy uh, monster. And so yeah. it's been a little like, I am glad to know that, but it's like, okay, well, things are starting to reopen and I'm starting to do shows again. And it's like, well, 
what, how do I want to be different in my relationship with stand up? you know, so that I don't get back into that. Like what did managing your anxiety with standup look like? I mean, it just, it looked, it was, it, it wasn't very manageable. Honestly, it was just insane. It was me doing as many shows as I could all the time to prove to other comics <laughs> that I was a real <laughs> comedian. You know, it was like proving to comics in the back of the room or just this idea of like what it to be a real comic like it just it was insane like it looked like I went to New York I went to New York for a week in 2018 and I'm from LA I started comedy in LA and you know all these New Yorkers would move to LA or New York comic comedians would move to LA and they'd be like you're not LA the scene is just uh you know you can't even get up like two times a night in New York. You get up four times a night in New York. You can yeah, New York. That's what it is. You get up four times a night. So I went to New York and I was like, I'm going to do four shows a night. I did four shows a night in New York for seven days. And I landed in the hospital with pneumonia. Literally after my last set, I had a late night set at New York comedy club. I went to a diner. I looked up emergency rooms, went to an emergency room <laughs> and they were like, we are hospitalizing you. You have pneumonia. And I was like, oh, oh but I have a flight God. today. And they were like, no, you don't. I was there for three days. But I mean, that's what it was. It's just like running myself ragged, trying to be like whatever this intangible idea of like a real comedian, because it's it's just it's about ego and other people. It was it was so focused on like what other people thought instead of like what I wanted for myself genuinely or what truly made me better. I just put this parallel together, but you know how like they say like tech culture has this like toxic hustle. Mm -hmm. I just realized like stand up has a similar toxic hustle culture to it. Yeah. If you're not grinding, if people don't see you're like you know, names on flyers like all over town and you're not seen as like perpetually just like hustling and killing it and doing it. It's like you're not real. You know, it's just it's. It's I understand like you need to work hard, but it's also like at what cost? Like I didn't have a life outside of comedy. You know, I basically yeah. had just not engaged with like. And, or nurtured any of my friendships outside of comedy, like everything was like. I was just so obsessed with like stand up and like the next set. And like, I look at my tapes from like that time in New York and I'm like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you can see it. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, this is not, these are not great sets. Like, there's definitely something to be said for that of like, you have to rest and like, if you're just getting up there and kind of reciting the same thing without having time to like process it or really like review your notes and do the work that it takes to like break down why or why not something doesn't work. Like that's the whole point of like hustling, right? Is not, it's like the, that was like the whole point of like getting out there and doing a bunch of shows so you could work this material and really like get behind it. But like, what's the point if you don't have time to look over your, like look over what you had done because you're just like dead <laughs> yeah I mean it was just like really about like ego and like being like oh yeah you guys think like 
you're the only ones that can do this. Well, I can do this too. Yeah. Like, cause I'm disabled and I use a wheelchair. So I feel like a lot of my kind of <laughs> aggressive hustle tendencies with stand up. <laughs> You know, number one, I love it. But like also too, like early on, like within my first year of comedy, I was told by this guy who at the time seemed like a very like influential person in the scene. You know, like basically he just like apropos of nothing. It was like at some like party, he goes, well, you know, I'm not going to book you just like everyone else does because you're in a wheelchair. And it was like, well, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, OK, cool. Um. So I think that as much as, you know, I do believe that I'm, like, talented and have, like, you know, comedic skill and, like, work hard, there is a part of me that is, like, do people just, like, want me on their shows for tokenism or to check a box or because they want to, like, show diversity, but they don't really think I'm that funny and stuff like that. So it's, like, I, I very much, like, want to prove that I belong and that I've like mm -hmm. earned whatever I've gotten. And it's, you know, it's very much like rooted in like imposter syndrome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I've like for sure confronted in the pandemic. And like, I had to really just like, I, I like early days in the pandemic, I was like, look, I'm high risk. I have asthma. I'm disabled and I'm fat. Like if I get COVID and go to the hospital, it's not looking good. So I need to just be okay with not doing stand up live until it is safe to do so. So I gave myself permission early on to just like let go of stand up as a thing that I did for the foreseeable future. And so that allowed me to like take acting classes, right? Just like focus on other parts um, of like my creative like world and I just like it just I was like I was trusting I was like look you've done the work you've worked really hard you've built a reputation you will come back to stand up and it will be okay and like literally this has been my first week doing stand up live in person and I got a JFL callback. Congratulations. Thank yes, you. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, one of the last shows I did in 2020 was my, a JFL audition. It was my first year getting a JFL audition. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. It felt really great. And then pandemic. I'm like, oh, everything's falling apart. But like, you know, it's like, oh, I got a callback. Okay, well, that means I have to book shows. So you know what? You do the work, you go online, you figure it out, you start sending out messages. And I'm just like, it's just work. You know what I mean? It's okay. Like, it's, I don't know. I'm like trying to just like be, have a healthy relationship with stand up. Like I had an opportunity to do, like I booked two shows in a day and I was like, okay, good. That's great. And then I had an opportunity to add a third one in and I was like, you know what? I'm good with two. I'm good with two. I don't want to like run around all over town, lose my mind, not enjoy all of these experiences. Like, you know, I think old me would have been like, yes, yes. Like golem with the ring or something. But like, More shows. I was like, okay, no, I can. It's, I don't know. I think I've, 
I'm trying to just like be confident in like the work that I've put in and know that like I am enough. And I don't, I don't know. It's hard. Hell yes, you are enough. <laughs> oh my God, dude, you are more than enough. Like I recently rewatched your set at the Largo. It was Nick Kroll and Friends. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, dude. The, the interview at the end, I love because like, so abortion is like a hard subject, I think for a lot of audiences and like you're, you do a bit about it that is very funny. And then you talk about like kind of knowing that you're making people uncomfortable and like just tightening that screw a little bit. And I love that so much because I feel like you approach stand-up the way that I think that like a, a writer approaches like writing a joke, right? You're thinking about like pressure release, like you're thinking about what your joke and your narrative is doing to the audience at every given moment. And I just like, I admire your writing so much. I admire you as a stand-up so much. So the imposter syndrome is bullshit. You're amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. My cheeks hurt from smiling. Oh my God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for like talking about your anxiety and what it's like for you because uh, like advocating, you know, it just helps people to be seen and like seeing what you go through um, and how you're like figuring it out. Um, yeah, like what's your what's your kind of plan? Like, I guess moving forward, is it just to continue being mindful or do you have like some like, I'm gonna take a meditation in every three months to maintain my, I don't know. I wish I, I, wish I like enjoyed meditation. I, right. I am such, I, I know that it's good for me. And once I'm doing it, I'm fine. But like, I'm like a child that doesn't wanna like go to bed, you know, just like fighting <laughs> sleep. Like that's how I fight meditation. I just don't want to do it. I'll do it like in a class with friends though. I'm so, I don't know if that makes me codependent or not, but I'm like, oh, are we all meditating? Well, then I'll do it. Yeah, that sounds fun. But like, me on my own, setting like an insight timer? Absolutely not. I refuse. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm just trying to be like really mindful. I think like luckily, um, you know, in the pandemic, I was able to uh, take acting classes and focus on that. And like, I am in, I'm on special and I have these like other shows coming out and like, I want to continue to like keep acting. And um, I want to just be able to do comedy in a way where I'm not so immersed in like the toxicity of like the community. Like I know too much about too many people that like are not a part of my <laughs> daily life. Do you know what I mean? I want to know less yeah. about other comedians. <laughs> yeah. I want to be less about the hang and more about just showing up, doing my set and kind of like dipping out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like just talking more about the actual comedy part and Less about the people. I don't know. Yeah, I feel that. I understand. Hey, you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned being like a child. Ah, uh, that brings us to our question of what you were like as a child. Uh, where did you where did you grow up? Like, what were your what was your parental situation? Nice segue, Nikki. I just got to get. I was like a child. Segue. I was like, what? <laughs> Bring out my inner child. Yes, yeah. <laughs> little Danielle. Give her a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was quite the stretch uh, to get to what you were like as a child and your 
<laughs> parent situation. Uh, I'm curious about curious about that. If you're willing to share anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Uh, my parents immigrated from the Dominican Republic to the U.S. Uh, when they were kids, uh, so they were like raised in New York, and then they met in Boston, and then they were like, "We don't need to live in the cold," so they moved to <laughs> LA and had me, and I was the only Dominican girl in LA. No. <laughs> That's what it felt like as a child, though, straight up. Um, yeah. <laughs> didn't know. Just a lot of like um, people being like, "Are you black and Mexican?" It's like, no, I'm Dominican. It's on a map. Trust me. And Californians <laughs> are like, where is that? Right. <laughs> the LA, Los Angeles uh, Unified School District really did a great job. Uh, for... <laughs> no, but I, um, yeah, my parents got divorced when I was in kindergarten. So, you know, I understood co-parenting before Gwyneth Paltrow did. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was just explaining conscious uncoupling to my fiance. <laughs> Uh, wait, uh oh. That, no, that, that sounded terrible. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, just because you add more words and they're bigger words doesn't change what it is. But yeah, no, I, it was like, I mean, growing up in LA, it's really interesting, I guess. Like, it wasn't until high school that I think I really understood that people's parents like were married and like happy and lived together. I'm like, everyone I know's parents are divorced. Like I would yeah. hear about people, like people would t in college, literally a guy was like, Oh, well my parents. And I was like, wait, they live together. He's like, yeah. And I was like, do they love each other? And he's like, I mean, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, that's weird. I'm like, literally everyone's parents are divorced. <laughs> Everyone has a mom's house and a dad's house. Duh. Um, it's a very LA upbringing. <laughs> uh, that's given me questions about what your relationship life is like. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, man, that's a minefield. But like, I know, as a kid, I was very... I went to Montessori school for like preschool and like until second grade. And I was very like, you know, my mom went to art school. She went to Boston Museum School for ceramics. And my dad was like an optometrist. So she was like going to be like a stay at home mom. So, you know, she did baby yoga with me. She made like my own baby food with the Vitamix. It was like a very like my godparents like live in Silver Lake. So it was very like free to be you and me kind of like. I was child. gonna say this is the most LA like upbringing. Eating kale out the womb <laughs> kind of shit. <laughs> yeah, like I really love performing. I was doing, you know, dance classes, ballet tap dance you know i took voice lessons when i was like in middle school i would audition for all the plays like one year at my dad's like um christmas party he was like a member of the lions club and they did like a annual christmas party i was eight years old and there was a pianist there was like a pianist who was like also singing you know just like christmas carols and shit and i go up it's like I go up to this like adult man in a ponytail and a vest and say, <laughs> do you know the 12 days of Christmas? And he's like, I don't know that one. I was like, it's okay. I'll sing it acapella. And, like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know that they were taking requests like that for performances. They let me like, say, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, the longest oh, Christmas song in the world. Just, I held a, 
room full of adult hostage to sing that. <laughs> the party I was barely invited to. You know what I mean? So that was the vibe. And you know he was he only said no because he didn't want to like want to put everybody through that. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to open that door like, for me. No, and I was like, no like, need. No, no. That's that's I have I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. We're good. Don't worry. <laughs> You'll know it after this. <laughs> but that was like definitely the energy. <laughs> That's amazing. So like you were like destined to be a performer. You know what? It's like really wild because like I was also like a bookworm. I loved to read. I was always reading. My mom would get mad at me. She's like, stop reading the book so fast because then I have to buy another one and it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's adding up but you know i um after i left montessori school and went to grade school i went to st andrews i honestly got really depressed it was just like a very big culture change and shock mm-hmm. and it was like an environment where it was like oh you read you're a nerd you know what i mean like that kind of energy and it was like very confusing for me it was also i think like my first time like dealing with educators who had like real either conscious or unconscious biases about like who gets to be a performer do you know what I mean it was like this thing of like I wasn't going to this was a regular ass you know catholic middle school like you know who cares who the lead is like put the best person for it and I don't know if I was the best person but it's like if it's supposed to be like an ingenue it's like we're all in seventh and eighth grade like what you know what I mean it's like I don't know like I've always I haven't always been disabled I acquired my disability when I was 20 but I've always been a black you know Afro-Latina you know I've always been Dominican and so it's like I don't know how much of that in like middle school we're just not getting cast in things was like well that's not the type of person we see on tv or in movies you know yeah yeah. because it carried over into high school too where i mean none of us look like the characters we're supposed to be playing like if you watch a high school play if you kind of with a bird's eye view and you're not fully in it and living in it it's pretty ridiculous you know what i mean like it's all this is so obviously make-believe and it's like children in guys and dolls they're supposed to be mobsters it's just kind of interesting that i feel like a lot of it was because i was always really enthusiastic and into performing but it doesn't seem like it was nurtured by the institutions that i was like in and yeah, so, yeah. It, and my sister was going to LOXA, Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. And so that was like a very serious art school. You had to like audition to get in there. My sister was in the visual arts program, but they had theater, they had dance, they had music. Madison, she went there for high school. Right, yeah. That's how you guys met through your sister, sort of, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, I knew kids who were going to like a real art school. And so I knew, I understood that like, you know, theater is like a real skill and you have to work hard. And it's like, well, I guess it's just like, not for me. Like, I guess it's, I just feel like in high school, I kind of like, uh, I came to an understanding that, well, this is something I like to do for fun, but I have to figure out what a real job is because I'm not going to make it like, cause those kids yeah. are making it, you know, they're already, they're doing the work. So it is just wild that all of these years later through stand up, I have, 
And now I'm disabled. Now I'm fat. Like I'm the largest I've ever been in my life. I was skinny little mini back then that I am allowed and these opportunities to perform and be on stage and act and be in TV shows and movies. And it's really, it's really yeah. fucking cool. Cause who, who you are inside hasn't changed at all. Like you like you're, you'll always be that, that little girl who's like, I got this. I got this. <laughs> on the 12th night of Christmas. <laughs> like, right <laughs> I just, the patience of the adults around me. I can't, I'm trying to imagine if I was at a Christmas party and I saw that happen, I, I don't think I could. I just don't think I could give that child what they needed. I'm like, this song is so long. <laughs> and it gets longer every time. Every verse is just a little bit longer. Oh. <laughs> but I think, like, in the pandemic, I was, like, able to, like, tap into the fact that, like, oh, I really do like performing. Like, because I got to take acting yeah. classes. Yeah. And it's really the first time I, like, seriously, like, tried to act since high school. And it was, like, I really enjoy this. I really like this. And I'm having fun. Mm. And I want to keep having fun. Ooh, yay! How did you... um how did you get into stand up initially? Like, what was your sort of like, had you like been wanting to do it and then you finally went for it? Or was it more just like um, Madison? So Madison was like in L.A. doing theater, like Black Box Shakespearean theater. And her roommate at the time was a stand up. So we started going to his shows. And by the third one, I was like, he's not funny. I'm funny. I can do this. <laughs> Madison, how do we do stand up? And she's like, okay, well, we can take a stand-up class and uh, <laughs> then we can go to open mics. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> we signed up for a stand-up class. And I know it's one of those things like I remember before my stand-up class, I was so it wasn't nervous, but like I felt this like excitement in myself that I hadn't felt for just so long. Cause I wasn't doing shit. I was working a shitty job, like as accounts receivable at a water filtration and parts supplier in Glendale. Like, <laughs> oh, exciting stuff. Glamorous. Like, <laughs> I really just, I was like, I don't know. I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do or what I was doing. And it was like a job, but I didn't love it and it wasn't fulfilling. And I kind of was just like, well, maybe my life is like those people in the office where they go to a shitty job and then I, you know, I don't know, live like a kind of interesting life outside of work. I don't know what this is, but. This is why I feel like the office is propaganda. <laughs> it <laughs> is. That's my hot take. I'm done. <laughs> I, thank you. Thank you. More people need to, need to know it and subscribe to it. But I just, yeah, I was like, I, I, before that class, something just felt, I'm like, this feels like the beginning of something big. And it's so weird because that's like a very musical theater thing or like movie thing. Like, and I don't think I'd ever really felt anything like that before where it was like, this feels like something, something exciting's happening. And yeah, I had my first comedy class and she was like, you got to go to open mics. And so Madison was like, all right, we go to open mic. She went on the comedy bureau. She found an open mic. Mm -hmm. 
she calls me on Saturday morning. She's like, okay, we're going. And I'm like, oh my God, so excited. She's like, we're so brave. I'm like, girl, why are we brave? Because we're going to watch people talk into microphones. She's like, no, we're brave because we're going to do it. I was like, oh, what? I was like, I don't have anything written. Oh my God. Like we go there. She's like, don't worry. I'll put my name before you. And so like we were number seven and eight and it was at Rock Paper in Hollywood it's no longer there. It was across from like the old meltdown and uh, in this little shitty coffee shop in Hollywood on a Saturday afternoon, I just started talking about my life and people laughed and I was like, I need this for the rest of my life. Like, oh, that's so awesome. It wasn't like the adrenaline. Is that what like did it for you? Do you think? Or I think it was like people listening to me, people seeing me and hearing me and like just being able to make them laugh, like that control of a room, you know, to feel that power. I just, you know, as a woman, a disabled woman, a woman of color, like there are just not a lot of opportunities I feel to be fully heard and seen mm -hmm. yeah. and stand up gives me that power and control, oh, which yeah. is also really nice for managing anxiety, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, I was like, oh, those uh, those go hand in hand, the need for control and anxiety. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so you as a woman in a wheelchair won a treadmill on The Price is Right, which got you on Kimmel. But I am wondering what happened after Kimmel? <laughs> like... It was, uh, here's the thing. I mean, that nasty imposter syndrome mm -hmm. reared its head. I mean, when the Price is Right episode aired and I went on Kimmel, I had been doing comedy for nine months. So it, <laughs> I remember telling the Kimmel producers, like, I'm a stand-up. And they're like, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just... I was excited, but I also allowed all the negative talk to really dominate what I was feeling. Yeah. You know, everyone was being nice and everyone was like, congratulations, that's so cool. And like booking me on their shows. And like, it was, those were positive things. But like inside, I'm like, everyone hates me. Everyone's mad at me. Everyone's like, this girl doesn't deserve it. It was like, I was just like allowing that to like burrow. And I think, I mean, a part of the hustle mentality and trying to prove myself as a real comedian was trying to show that like I'm more than just like the girl who won a treadmill on the price mm -hmm. is right you know what I mean yeah. like in my mind every time someone would bring up it's like well she's been on Kimmel and I was like yeah but I didn't do stand-up do you know what I mean I'm like real comics go on Kimmel and do stand-up and it's like but I you know what I mean it's like I, I would always just find a way to like take right. away from my own accomplishments and you know what I mean I mean right. the truth is it's like I was there in the studio and he ran his monologue two times. One time was really long and one time was short. They didn't have to air my segment at all. And they kept the whole thing. So it's like, that's a win. And like all I can think about is like, she's not a real comic because she didn't do stand up on Kimmel. Like, yeah, except that you made people laugh on Kimmel. <laughs> like, which like, is what a comic does. What a comic does. Yeah. Right. Like, it's yes. just like, I think comedy is so, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a broader term than we allow it to be sometimes. Yes, I think stand-ups especially. I think there's like a purity test with stand-ups where they are so obsessed with this one narrow view of like what it means to be a stand-up comedian and what it means to like work in stand-up and you know it's like we live in los angeles right Mm -hmm. we're los angeles isn't a stand-up capital it's not new Mm -hmm. york is if you want to work the road and do stand-up all over the world or all over the road it's like there are cheaper places to live than los angeles where you can do that with much more ease you live in la because you want something more right yeah so everyone pretending like it's just about working mics and you know shows and being the best stand-up it's like the things that pay you are writing and acting very Mm -hmm. few people get to be just famous from Mm stand-up yes yes and also like you are very talented at writing and acting in addition to stand-up so hell yeah we're thankful that you get to do it all yay me too like you've done so much you've like you know you've done comedy for uh like i i think you've you've toured right i uh yeah i've like gone on the road i've gone to denver and portland new york san francisco yeah minneapolis like the whole touring beat you act you like do all i mean you do all kinds of stuff like you you produce as well, and you've run shows, right? Yeah, I ran Gentrification yeah. with Madison yeah. um, Shepard and Danielle Radford. We ran that for four years. <sighs> Dream Team I Supreme. Know, right? It was really great to like work with them. Like when like Madison and I like we just started stand up, and then we started our show. And Danielle Radford is like just like you know she had just moved from Seattle and was like such like an icon, and we were like, will you please run a show with us and. So, yeah, it was just really cool how that all came together. I love that. Finally figured out what I wanted to ask you, which was what your favorite comedy festival uh, has been that you've enjoyed the most. Oh, man, that's hard because I there's been really fun parts about all the comedy festivals. Yeah, yeah. It's comedy festivals are always they feel like comedy summer camp a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I think um, my favorite festival was All Jane in Portland. The year that I did it, it was like, it was, (laughs) I had, I was already friends with Dulce Sloan, but um, we, we ended up staying in a house of one of the producers. She had like a bunch of extra bedrooms. So like, it felt like I was in a sorority or something. Like Maggie May was in the house, Rona May, Dulce. I got to like really hang out with like Kate Willett and Irene Chu for the first time. Like it was just a really fun like girls time you know oh my gosh that sounds amazing like we went to the hair store next to curious comedy theater and it got like purple <laughs> extensions and like dulce's in the bathroom like putting them on me and we're just like being like silly fun girls and you know joanne Schinderly. like i got to hang out and like with her and party it was just like a good time where it was just like man it's just like fun to be with like other female comedians you know 
yeah, camaraderie. Yes. Because yeah. so often sure. it's like we're usually one of the only women on a lineup, you know? We're lucky right. there's another one of us. <laughs> and so this festival was like all us and it was really cool. Ah, oh, that's so cool. Like getting that like girl time is like, it's, it's uh, highly underrated. It's so valuable just like as a woman to spend time with other women, especially other women who are like, you know, just like you just get each other. Uh, Yeah, it was just fun. Like I, you know, just like became closer to like Dulce and Maggie and Raina and literally that. So like all Jane, I was there in Portland for a week and then I was doing 10,000 laughs in Minneapolis. So I went to Minneapolis for a week. So I got to see Raina. I basically got to hang out with like Raina Mae for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) It was like so fun. And she's still like one of my best comedy girlfriends. So. Oh, yay. I love that. Hey, Kate, welcome back. Um, You were going to ask something and I... Oh, when I cut out. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, what is... I mean, considering how much you've, like, already accomplished, is there something you haven't done yet that you're, like, dying to do? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm dying to do so much. (laughs) (laughs) I want... I mean, I want to do late night. I want to have a special on like HBO Max um, or HBO or Netflix or something. I feel like the HBO Max because <laughs> really well, like Best Selling yeah. has one um, and she's just so fucking funny. Uh, <laughs> and I want to star on a TV show and I want to create a TV show. I want to host a show. So not much. You're not ambitious at all. There's a lot left to do. What what kind of show would you want to host? I want to host like a talk show, very like, um, very watch what happens live vibes. You know what I mean? Ooh, kind of just like fun yes. cocktails. We're being messy. We're having fun. We're getting tea. You know, we're dishing. Um, and we're just yeah, having a good time. Gals being wow. gals. You know, I love that shit. I could totally see this on TV. I always really like um, Chelsea lately. I really love the format of Chelsea lately. Like I love the round table of comics and I loved her interview style where she just like was really fearless. You know, she just, she didn't put celebrities on like a crazy pedestal. Like when you went on Chelsea lately, you got, you had to be like game, you know, you had to like be down for anything. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if I want to be like that serious of an interviewer, but I do want to have like, I like in watch what happens live that they'll pair a bravo liberty with like meryl streep or you know what i mean i like that balance of something that is seen as like trivial and frivolous with like an accomplished (laughs) person you know and i like that that odd um odd couple pairing you know i think that makes for like fun conversation and tv all right well uh, we didn't want to say anything, but uh, waiting. Getting my own talk show? Yes, waiting. Yes. <laughs> Surprise, Danielle. We 100% have the power to do that. <laughs> I wish. That'd be awesome. Hey, do you, I know, right? do you have any advice for uh, young, uh, for younger you or for just anybody who is looking to get into comedy and or just in life? Broad question. That is, you know, not a not a tough, not a big one at all. I think if you're, you know, um, a woman gay or they and you're trying to do stand up, uh, do whatever the fuck you want. Like, be true to yourself and your voice. Don't let other people tell you what you should and shouldn't do in terms of material, 
um, have fun and take risks. Like when you're first starting out, like do whatever you want because no one's watching, frankly. We think that everyone's like obsessed with us like, <laughs> and watching our every move and like tracking what we're doing. And like, honestly, no, everyone's like so immersed with their own bullshit. No mm-hmm. one is that focused on you. So take the risks and do what you want when you're starting out so that you don't lose that when things start to happen. Because I know for me, like, there's, like, this risk of, like, oh, my God, but what if I do something and I fail? And it's, like, just keep taking risks. Like, don't Mm -hmm. lose that. Because when you do, that's that's what limits you. That's when you start playing safe. And, like, the things that are uniquely you, no one can replicate. Like, there is only one of you, and that is your superpower, like, in comedy, in performance, in stand-up. So if you focus on just, like, bringing every idea that you have, like, making it full and rich, like, that's, it's only going to get better every time you do it. Damn. Damn. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (laughs) All the stand-ups that I really love and admire, like, I'm, like, Joel Kim Booster, like, I want to be, like, Joel Kim Booster, where he just is so fully himself. Like, he's such a strong stand-up, an amazing yeah. actor, an incredible writer, and he just is unapologetically 100% himself, you know? And I think you just have to, like, don't put it off. Don't be like, next time, next time. It's like, do it right out the gate. Just, like, be you. And know that, like, people aren't always going to get it, but that's okay, you know? Because you're going to keep doing it. Hell yeah. You and Madison in here with the amazing advice. Just, man, wow, rude. More like, wow, good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, good advice. I'll tell my mom that. My mom keeps telling me. She's like, you should really just change it to your podcast to mindless entertainment. I'm like, thanks, mom. Mm -hmm." I'm like, mom, that isn't the compliment you think it is. Thank you. (laughs) But thanks for being a listener. Irreverent. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of thank you, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been so wonderful. You guys are such a delight. And yeah, this has just been a really fun convo. Honestly, I feel like yeah. we can only be as delightful as our guest is. And we are just very lucky that we get awesome guests. And we're so lucky to have you. This was great. It was so nice to talk to you. Also, just tangent, tangent. I'm obsessed with the idea that we can all be superheroes if our superpower is being ourselves. That's I'm like, like you said that. And I've been stuck on this <laughs> idea. And then I'm like, we're all superheroes then. Yes. I feel like a oh. mutant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So thank you. I appreciate you um, so much for just sharing, giving advice, and being here. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And you can find Danielle Perez online on Instagram and Twitter at Diva Deluxe. And, of course, on Netflix on season two of Special. We are super excited to see her there. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you like what you heard, you want to support us, you want to learn more about the network that we're on and support our network, uh, we're going to talk to you for a minute about our Patreon. Uh, Yes, we are the Period Podcast Network. We are 
a network made by she's and they's for everyone. And it's really cool. We're all working together. And the concept behind our network is that everybody, every single podcast that's on the network, we all kind of get paid the same. We are all working together to build up, uh, build up each podcast like high tides, raise all ships. Uh, but we need your support in order to do that. <laughs> Kate, tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you can see on the Period Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, just so many great podcasts, starting with Tinseltown Tea, which is a movie review and Hollywood gossip podcast. There's Comadres y Comics, which is a podcast that highlights the Latinx community in comic book culture. There's Yes, a Stripper, a podcast about strippers and sex workers and interviews with people in those industries and their allies. There's Girl Boner, which is a health and sexuality and empowerment podcast. Elaine's Cooking for the Soul, which is a post-apocalyptic cooking podcast hosted in a dentist's office. Yes, it's very exciting. And we have a Patreon. Uh, we'd love uh, to see your support <laughs> if we could. Because, uh, you know, the best way to support is not only just to listen and to appreciate and share, but also, you know, share some of the <laughs> if you got it and our price is not high for five dollars a month you can get um ex uh, you get an exclusive zine that is created by all of the uh all of the participants on the network uh, we're creating some really cool artwork some articles some poetry it's really really neat and then at ten dollars a month you can uh you'll get exclusive bonus content from each of the uh each of the podcasts. Uh, it's very exciting. There's also a bigger option for like a group Zoom that's like $20. And we highly suggest that because we're all very fun people. So check it out. If you support uh, marginalized voices in podcasting, if you feel like there should be more of them, which you should, guilt, 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 uh, check out all of the podcasts on the network. You can go to periodpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And if you can, please support the network and support as much as you can women in podcasting and women in, in comedy and women in all things. The Comedy Girl Crush Podcast.